Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. And welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name's Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined, as always, by my childhood friend, Christopher Dow. You wanna grow big? And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Wear a helmet of any type. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! You know the announcements by now. We've got a YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents. You can find all our video content there, including uh, my recent streaming activity of me playing through Balan Wonderworld. Oh, is uh, it going to find out if, if, uh, if mm, <laughs> to find out if Chris awarding it his Game of the Year award uh, is justified? <laughs> and we also have a Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash Our Three Cents. Head over there, have a look at some of the amazing perks that are on offer for just a few pennies in exchange for those. There's several tiers of pledging, so if you can afford to give a little bit to help support us do this, we'd love that. But if not, just listen, enjoy. But there are some great things there. Full bonus episodes, deleted scenes and outtakes, there's bonus video content, there's loads of stuff. Have a look. So, this week we have Chris's fifth favourite video game of all time. I can't believe we're into the top five. Top five. That's mad. Top five. This better be good. I hope so. But before we do that... Whoa, whoa, whoa. But before we do that... I beg your pardon, sir. I have a question for you, Jonathan, to make you feel a little bit more included in this section of the show, which will perhaps become a regular feature, we shall see, for a whopping 50 points. Yeah. Let's see if you know the answer to this cryptic question. Which Sega console featured Phil Collins as the drummer? <laughs> oh brilliant well uh, i'm assuming it's genesis correct <laughs> 50 points amazing amazing 50 points for jonathan dunn i'll, I'll send you over a a, a royalty free celebratory fanfare <laughs> excellent maybe one of those big novelty checks that just says 50 points on it please yes yes <laughs> well, there we go um expect one of those next week uh, it won't be for as many points Okay, that's just to bring you up to speed. Um, They'll be lovely. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Right in my wheelhouse. That progressive rock and video games. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Pop that in a Venn diagram. I live in the middle. So, well, after that lovely surprise, you are tied in the lead with sixty-four points apiece. A very, very lovely, suitably Nintendo number. It is. Uh, But we're going into round seven. You've got four questions each. Okay. Okay. Now this is. I'm excited about this because I came up with this a couple of weeks back and I've been waiting to do it and it's great. So this is a riff on, as always, Richard Osman's House of Games, a round he calls Mouse of Games. Now, this is quite similar to the very first round that we did, which was called Hose of Games, hmm. where if you remember, what I did was remove a letter from the name of a video game and then gave you a description of that new game. Now, this is basically the same, but instead of removing a letter, I've changed one letter in the title of a game okay so as an example which nintendo home console took the form of a purple cylinder so it wouldn't be the game cube it would be the game cone the game tube the game tube yes you change the c to a t and you get the game tube okay you get the idea so i've got four questions each for you and here's the twist okay the questions i'm giving you 
the answers are all games that was on the other person's list. Oh dear. Okay, oh, right. No. Gotta think carefully. Okay. go first chris yeah i'll go first okay in this delightful platform game you take control of a pink puffballs three foot long woolen appendage <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's uh, oh superb curvy something <laughs> Oh, oh, please man. put me out of my misery. I, I just don't have any thoughts in my head today. <laughs> it's not Kirby's epic yarn. It's Kirby's epic, epic yard. yard. Oh. <laughs> Over to you, Minty. All right, here we In go. this virtual reality action game, you control the passage of time whilst killing people with a deadly fedora. <laughs> super hat. <laughs> that is correct, yes. yes. Super hat. <laughs> well done. <laughs> okay, Chris, your second one. In Niantic's latest augmented reality game based on a Nintendo franchise, you explore the world as a futuristic racing pilot. Futuristic. Oh, F. F Zero Go. Yes, well done. Oh, dear. Yes, F Zero GX well becomes F Zero Go. Oh, yeah. that, was, that was hard. That was really hard. Here we go. In this racing game, you pilot a miniature sheesh pipe through uh-huh. several jungle based courses. Oh, it's something to do with a hooker. A-H. I'm going to have to time you out, I'm afraid. The answer is not Diddy Kong Racing. It's Diddy Bong Racing. <laughs> Diddy Bong. Uh, oh. <laughs> I know. A miniature sheesh pipe. A Diddy Bong. <laughs> <laughs> Chris. Yes. Number three for you. In a strange evolution of the mainline series, this fifth generation handheld JRPG sees you building walls out of your beloved critters. So it's Pokemon. Fifth generation was... Oh. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I, I'm got a clue. It's not Pokemon Black. It's Pokemon, Pokemon Block. Block. Oh. Okay, Minty, your third one. Here we go. In this spooky puzzle platformer, you control several arms and legs trying to escape purgatory. <laughs> limbs instead of limbo. <laughs> that is the correct answer. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, okay. it's not limbo, it's limbs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris, your final one. Oh, I have to get another point. Come on, I'm only on one so far. In this game, you play as a flat Italian paedophile leading the children of the Mushroom Kingdom astray. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait. Oh, it's, it's a Paper Mario one, so it's... Which Paper Mario is it? Just just tell me. I'll take I'll take the zero, it's fine. It's not Super Paper Mario. It's Super Piper Mario. The Pied Piper. Oh, oh. I, I was I was purely thinking about which game I could get like nonce into. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Minty, your last one. Here we In go. In this classic mobile game, you use several pieces of timber to fend off the undead. Oh, okay. Um Um Oh man. No, no, no idea. Well, it's not plants versus zombies. It's planks, planks versus, versus zombies. Bastards. Oh. oh, dear. Well, this round ends with Minty on 66 points. Chris now trailing by one point on 65 points. There we go. Hopefully you at least enjoyed the fun of them. 
I, I enjoyed it. I'm just very poor at it, apparently. Like my brain <laughs> did not want to apply itself uh, laterally today. <laughs> so what have we played this week? Christopher, why don't you kick us off? It's actually been two weeks since we recorded. So what have you played in this last fortnight? Have you played Fortnite? It's been a little while. I have not played Fortnite as much as kids mm. still play it daily. It's still a big thing at school. Oh. So, you know, tapping into the cultural zeitgeist, it's still a... A big behemoth. But no, for me, a, a few updates. I've not even turned on Genshin Impact in a couple of weeks. Uh, I do think well I'm kind done. of, I'm done for now. Well done. Not that I wasn't enjoying it. I just think my main issue with any evolving live service game, and this even applies to something I love like Animal Crossing, is that when when you get really wrapped up in it, it's very hard to pull yourself away to play something else. Yes. As there's always a bit of a fear of missing out. You also start having like a sunk time fallacy that you feel that if you don't play it for a day, the time you have played and enjoyed is somehow negated. And, you know, it's all in your head. (laughs) You know, play what you like, do whatever you like. But for now, I'm giving it a break. And I may well go back to to Genshin at some point, maybe in the summer holiday, when I've got kind of a, a good few weeks where I don't mind losing a bit of time to something. But for now, I am happy that I'm able to step back and, and play other stuff and keep up to date with real world shit as well, because yeah, work yeah. is busy and life is busy. And, you know, we're all adults. <laughs> we've, got, we've got stuff to do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, course, I'm, yeah. Still, I'm still making incremental progress through Earth Defense Force or, or rather Monster Attack, as it's called on the PS2. It is now brutally difficult at this stage. It's still fun, but the frustration sets in sometimes <laughs> when I'm failing a stage because essentially... RNG is not dropping the loot that I need. Right. So it's it's less about kind of being good at it and, and just hoping for the right things to happen. Anytime you kill an enemy, you either get nothing. Often it will just drop nothing. Sometimes you'll pick up persistent health upgrades or new weapons that cash in at the end of a stage. Or what you really want on higher difficulties is just the instant health boosts that are kind of, you know, you pick them up and they just apply it straight away like a health pack. Yeah. And when you're playing on the two highest difficulties, like I said, we're called Chaos and Inferno, (laughs) like a single hit from an enemy can be so devastating that you really have to rely on getting lucky drops of health to keep you going. Yeah. And if the game is having a time where it's being miserly, you you will not pass the stage. It's it's as simple as that. It's (laughs) like if if it isn't being generous, you're not going to do it. And as a kind of strange observation, action games in the 90s, I think, often fell into like one of two camps. So... Japanese design often would be kind of about one hit kills, you know, experiences that were kind of driven by the arcade. American design basically followed that. But European design over here would basically usually have games where you were given a chunk of life and then they expected you to get hit. So it's like you had more firepower than the enemy, but you were going to take damage along the way. And the best comparison is probably something like Contra versus something like Turrican, if you've played either of those over the years. Because Contra is really exacting, but learnable, so you can get very good at it. And Turrican, even when people are good at it, is just a mess. But it's an enjoyable one, because you do have the tools to kind of fight through the barrage. And playing Earth Defense Force as much as I have recently, it's interesting because it's it's a Japanese-made game. It's a very Japanese game, but it really leans into this sort of Euro design. And it's it's just about attrition, like... You know, you're not going to look good beating a stage, but with perseverance, you will beat it eventually. <laughs> and, and it's just interesting that it's, it's a real mix of kind of those two philosophies. The other thing I have been revisiting over the last couple of weeks has been the Evercade. Ah, yeah. The little retro handheld that I got very excited about roughly, what, this time last Probably, year? Maybe yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, after a year and a bit on the market, I think it's really come into its own. At this stage, I've, I've kept up a full collection of games for the machine, which has been really easy because they tend to only release a cartridge a month. Each one is priced at a really reasonable 15 quid in our local currency. And 
what I've been playing recently is there were two different cartridges packed with Atari Lynx games, like an old handheld that I never owned. It was competing with the Game Boy in the late 80s and early 90s that, you know, I never saw in person, never played on one, never knew anything about any of its games. But with the Evercade, it's been fascinating to have quick access to almost anything of note in its library. So on on a single cartridge, you can play things like California Games, you can play Chips Challenge, you can play Blue Lightning, Electrocop, even a fantastically named shoot-em-up called Gates of Zendicon, which I've played quite a lot in the last couple of days. And almost all genres were represented on the links, and to have them all across these licensed collections is is really nice. Evercade have recently put up pre-orders for a home console called the Evercade Versus, and it's compatible with basically every one of their carts to date and launches alongside a new set of arcade focus collections which look to speak a little out of character absolutely sick as hell <laughs> like I, i'm super super excited and I, I can't wait to see where the machine is in a year or so it's just a really nice project and i think there's a lot of love that goes into everything they do it, it doesn't feel like a cheap cash in there's there's definite kind of thought behind behind the whole package and i, I do like that and that's that's been me really that's my last couple of weeks nice how about you minty well, unfortunately, I've not been able to play that much this week, what with work being busy, and also I've got a little bit of a problem with my thumb. Oh, a loose thumb. Loose thumb, yeah. It's not it's not lent itself well to holding a controller and doing such things as that. I managed to bash out a couple of Isaac runs. I finally got the final unlock for doing all the uh, all the daily challenges. Oh yeah, yeah. Thirty-one challenges, and you get the whole right. fill. So yeah, I've been doing that. What else have I done? Oh, I've just got, I've just got little things on every character's post-it to do, and it's just if you've got a if you've got a mostly blank post-it on a character in Isaac, even if you screw up a run, you can be like, oh okay, well, I'm not going to be able to get to say this final boss in this run, but I'll be able to go down this path here, and I'll, I'll be able to get the um. I'll be able to get the Polaroid run, or I'll be able to get um, I'll be able to get to Delirium because I'm on I'm on good pace for for the Hush fight. And now that I'm now that I'm just sort of picking off little symbols on every character's uh, post, it's just like oh well, well I'm not going to be able to I'll be able to do this in this run. So what's the point of me carrying on? That's the spirit. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's it's. I'm just trying to complete it. I'm just trying to get everything unlocked before before repentance comes out. So yeah, I'm being yeah, I am being very defeatist about it. Whenever I pick <laughs> it up, we've also as of about an hour ago, uh, we have enjoyed uh, a couple of games on the Oculus Quest. Oh, Oculus oh, Quest, yes, tasty. Too? The Oculus Quest 2, it is indeed. Yeah, yeah. So I played a little bit of uh, Carve Snowboarding, was it called? Yes, indeed. Which uh, I think was my, outside of uh, outside of Tetris Effect, which I believe is loaded up on there as well. It is. I think that was my first sort of stand-up, you are in a place and you can move your body to control kind of game. Because Tetris Effect, wonderful game, really incredible sensory experience, but I could enjoy it sitting down. Yeah, it's very sedentary, isn't it? So this game, carve snowboarding, I'm there. I've, I, I can see my gloves on the screen. <laughs> I could move them. I could move my hands, and that's uh, that. And, and my gloves on the screen would move in accordance with uh, with how I was moving my body. There was a dog in the log cabin um, in the uh, in the playable menu, which 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 oh which, yeah, which, which, we, which we love so much. And yeah, it was it was fun. It was I I, I did. 
they crash into quite a lot of rocks and cliffs <laughs> having the headset as its own sort of standalone thing kind of limited the uh, the enjoyment for for you jonathan as you were watching me play maybe because you couldn't see what i was actually doing you just sort yes. of see my reaction just be like whoop hey, what's going on here <laughs> definitely from watching you pet a dog when i didn't know what you were doing oh you you knew though surely yeah you knew. of course i did I, i've seen you pet enough dogs <laughs> There's not many things you shower that much affection on. <laughs> yeah, speaking of, uh, Mrs. Minty has been. <laughs> she's she well before I came up here to record, she's been enjoying the room. Ah, oh, yes, a, which is a, a lovely um, touch-based um, escape room series that we've both enjoyed for for well for many years now. And even though she was only standing in the middle of the room and I couldn't see what she was doing, seeing her just sort of turning a crank or just moving her hands up and down and her shouting, I'm, I'm pulling a rope! <laughs> and all that sort of thing. Oh, oh she's, she's always shouting that. Oh, yeah, she's famous for it. She really is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited to, well, I'm excited to give Tetris Effect a go again. Oh, yeah. But also, I, I want to give the room a go. I want to I get really immersed um, in VR. Because if, if, mm. if my thumb is going to be a problem, I need to sort of look at different control avenues, I guess. I yeah, think. yeah, good point. Yeah. Waving my entire arms around instead of just my thumbs, that's that. That's going to be the way forward for me, I think. Cracking. Well, I look forward to hearing what you make of some of your other experiences in, mm. in that. As for me, I have continued to play Returnal and I'm having an incredible time. I love it. I absolutely big, love it. Big it's, game. It, yeah, it is. <laughs> I've, I've almost finished the first act, which is the first three biomes. And there's nine biomes. There's like three acts. I've got to the boss of that biome a couple of times. And I think, I don't know, maybe a couple more successful runs and I'll, I'll, be, able to, I'll be able to crack it. They are big runs. Like to try to really sort of get yourself to the point where you can definitely take on the boss. Because you can go, essentially you can go straight from your starting point. There's some shortcuts you can do to go back to the third biome. But if you really want to stand a good chance of beating it, it's worth just going through the first biome, trying to get, you know, many upgrades and, and maximizing your health and all that sort of stuff before you do it. So it does mean that the runs are pretty long if you want to kind of properly rinse the first two biomes and then tackle the third one like the third biome on its own is probably the best part of an hour maybe even to get through so you're looking at a good two hour chunk it's fine for me to just put the console in rest mode and come back to it but i know that because there is an auto save but i do know that this is an issue that they're looking to resolve but it's just fantastic it feels so good to play I'm also really enjoying doing the daily challenges which are very very good they're they're nice short condensed runs like maybe 15 20 minutes they're really really good and you get a good sort of um, bonus for it as well for for completing them and you see sort of how you're doing on the, the the leaderboards and they've always got interesting quirks to those runs that you don't necessarily get in the game and they're yeah really good fun and i've also delved into another roguelike this one's on the switch and unfortunately it's actually taken precedence over children of mortar for the time being and this is a game that was recommended to me by one of our listeners a chap called casper on twitter who said this game was right up my street and he's absolutely not wrong <laughs> i mean it's the very definition of not reinventing the wheel it it literally doesn't do anything different from stuff i've seen in loads of other roguelikes so it feels very familiar. As such, it's just been very easy to slip right into. Um, oh, the game's called Undermine. I didn't say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 
so it wasn't just a, a massive mysterious build-up to something. And I was like, and that game was me. But yeah, Undermine. It's it's basically a combination of The Binding of Isaac and what feels like Stardew Valley. There are so many elements of Binding of Isaac that are in here that it almost feels like it's a rip-off. But then it's got the RPG elements of something like Dead Cells or Children of Mortar, so you can like, level up all your abilities and your powers and unlock more stuff in between runs, which massively sort of boosts uh, your abilities uh, to go in for another run. And that also gives you the impetus to actually get straight back in there, because pretty much every time you'll do a run, you'll unlock something that makes you a little bit stronger in some avenue, and you think, oh, all right, I'll give it a... Well, let's, let's take this new glove for a spin and and you're back in doing another doing another run i mean i'm still getting my head around some of the mechanics and you know what all the different items do and there's like blessings and curses but it's really really fun it's, it's fun to sort of get my head around it and sort of find the touchstone for you know the roguelike formula with it and i'm making steady progress and uh, and similarly to, to carve there's a dog you can pet in the main little starting oh, cool. hub you can pet him before every run, and that's lovely. Very important. If anyone hasn't seen my streaming activity, uh, I mentioned it at the top in the announcements. I have been playing the rock-solid 5 out of 10 <laughs> stone-cold game of the year for Chris, uh, Balan Wonderworld. I, I know it's not your game of the year. We tease you about this. I know. But a, a combination of morbid curiosity and, and, and a whopping discount on Amazon has led me to this place. And it's it's... It has been genuinely enjoyable to experience it. And that's not to say it's a good game, because no. it absolutely isn't. It is it's a bad game. It's a it's a very bad game. I don't I think five out of ten is massively generous. <laughs> I think that it's a very it's a very, very poorly designed game in terms of how it works and how you play it. But I mean, the thing that frustrates me about it is that it, I don't think it would take that much at all to actually turn it into a game that would be maybe a three out of five, you know, a three-star game. But it's just, I don't know, it's like somebody's done a tech demo and gone, oh, you can do, you, this game sort of works a bit like this, and then gone, yeah, all right, let's go with that. Just ship it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the way that the transformation mechanics work are totally illogical. And, I mean, the game is built as, I mean, like Yuji Naka said, he wanted a game that didn't need language to convey anything. So there's no talking or text. It's all just very abstract. You just sort of figure out what's going on. And he wanted it to be a one-button game. And that's all well and good if you're making a game that is then going to be accessible for, like, kids. Something really, really simple that's actually just going to be, you know, fun. But that totally contradicts, then, just the huge amount of confusion that you then left with because nothing's telling you what to do and that nobody's nothing's explaining the mechanics nobody's i didn't even it took me about well it took somebody telling me to figure out how to unlock the next level it's like i didn't know <laughs> and then there's like you're breeding things in this hub world to do something i don't know what isle of tims the isle of tims the way that you have to transform between different things is a fun mechanic. We've seen that in so many games, all the way from Wario Land to Mario 64 and Monster Boy games. And, you know, that's great. But the way they've implemented it is a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> it's, it's stupid and it's not fun. And it's a shame because, like I said, it, would only t it wouldn't take much. I reckon like another month of development and it would have been a much much better game unfortunately i am i have committed myself to completing the game and that's not i'm not not 100 i'm not a sadist but i will see the credits and i've done i've done the first five chapters now so i've done five of those and there's 12 to get through and i will do it 
I will do it. And to be fair, the levels are getting a bit better. Some of the mechanics are a bit more fun the, 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 the more levels I do. And I will say this. The music is absolutely brilliant. It is the best soundtrack to a terrible game that I've heard. <laughs> I would buy it and listen to it. And I mean, so much... I think one of the reasons why it, why it hurts so much, and it does hurt, is that it, it feels like it's in the same universe as Knight's. And I don't think it would take much to turn it into actually a Knights game if you were, instead of controlling Leo Craig, that classic hero name, <laughs> you were, say, controlling Claris or Elliot and you were going through your different dream worlds. And there's moments when you go into these Balan, I think they're called Balan bouts, which is like a sort of special stage, bonus stage type thing, which are shit. Yeah, the worst part of the game. They're dreadful. If, say, those sections were like, classic knight stages and when you reach that you did like a classic knights level and they turned it into this like big lovely thing just why can't you jump as all of the transformations like <laughs> there's four there's four four very clear buttons why not always have one of them as a jump button and one other button i'm not saying like use all of the buttons i'm not saying use the fucking touch screen use the uh, adaptive triggers just give me one other button then that does the ability of that transformation and a jump button and w- i mean i might be pushing my luck here to ask for a third one but i'd love a run button as well don't be greedy all right the annoying thing, I think you said this, Chris, when I was playing it, is that it's not stuff that can be patched in to fix. It's fundamentally a bad game. Yeah, it's not going to get fixed. It is what it is. It's a shame. That is frustrating. I know what you mean. That with with just a few of these changes that you've just mentioned, it's not a lot of work, really, if it had just launched like that, if they just held off a month. Yeah. Um, and it could have been yeah, a exactly. it could have been a six on my on my scale instead of a five. <laughs> it could have been on the po- the positive side of the the yardstick. The other game that I have just started playing, I've literally just started playing it, is uh, Resident Evil Village, and I've been really excited to get hold of this ever since I heard that it was sort of a bit more bit more fun this game than Resident Evil 7. It was a bit more like Resident Evil 4 and I thought I, I've kind of been getting, well, really been getting used to the third person shooter action in Returnal which isn't really that different from, I mean, there's no lock-on on it or anything so it is essentially like a first like first person controls, you know, and I feel like I've got more used to that now so I might be alright with this, you know, first person controlled game on a console which obviously usually I absolutely detest. I spoke about Resident Evil 7 when we did our first Halloween special, I think it was. Yeah. And I said about how the v- the VR-ness was all pretty intense, uh, coupled with a story that was just very close to home. Like, me and Sammy had just got engaged, and then this story opened with you having to rescue your once-thought-dead fiancé, and then it turns out she's infected and prone to bouts of zombieing your face off. <laughs> it was... I, I literally came out of it just like white and shaking it was all just too much and i was really really glad when i found out that village actually starts with a recap of that game to save me having to play through it because the story does carry straight on and i thought that i'd really be missing out if i didn't play resident evil 7 so i thought i'd start the game i'd start village and get the opening story out of the way so the story starts with your wife being murdered and your little six-month-old baby daughter being kidnapped (laughs) In the bin, send it back. Well, the unfortunate thing is, obviously, that is a very upsetting start to the story for me. Yeah. But I, I can't now leave that little baby. 
Yeah. And I obviously I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to play through the whole game. So like, thanks Capcom for tracking all of the events of my personal life to try and capitalize on it and make me buy more pairs of pants. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I'm signed up for this now. Devastating, <laughs> dreadful start to the day. So what are we here for? We're here to hear what Chris's fifth favorite game is. Over to you, Christopher. Oh, top five. This is this is big. We, we've come a long way. Big boys. We've come a long, long way. Yeah. I'm very excited. There's a skill, I think, to writing for an endless series, like a TV soap opera. Okay. This will make sense in a minute. Okay. Like every episode of something like EastEnders or Coronation Street, sorry to alienate any non-UK listeners, but they're, they're the big soaps in this country. They have to give seasoned fans enough continuity whilst giving new watchers a sort of unspoken catch-up on who's who and and what's what and it's a genre that constantly has to feed two audiences because it's retaining people that watch it every day and it's cultivating new watchers simultaneously and game sequels have to do similar so developers can't guarantee that a player has played last year's entry i mean case in point you're just talking about not having played resident evil 7 starting 8 and, and the nature of games marketing as well means that sometimes a reboot or a surprise sequel might follow on from a title that is 5, 10, 15, 20 years old. So with tech as it is, that means that a young player may pick up a new game that expands upon or riffs on a game that was last relevant before they were even born. So, you know, how do you placate both audiences? You've got, you've got to kind of try and hit the players approaching maybe middle age that followed the series through since its NES roots to a modern Switch incarnation, for example, as well as the young children unwrapping the console in a game on Christmas morning who only really recognise the character on the box from like branded t-shirts in Primark before <laughs> any actual playable games. <laughs> yeah. The answer is actually really easy. You just make Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I knew it was coming at some point. At the height of my obsession with this game, it was hard to truly state or quantify the joy that Odyssey was bringing me, like every moment I was playing it. And I know I mentioned this before when it appeared on both of your lists, that for that kind of few weeks where I was really, really intensely on it, every moment I had, it was a game that went from being, well, it's the best Switch game, to, well, I think it's the best Mario game to, well, I think it's probably one of the best games of the generation, to, I think it's one of the best games of all time. <laughs> and it was like all that happened within the space of about a week. Yeah. And each ascending moniker just felt so effortless. It was no umming and ahhing. It just, it was making those steps logically. And a lot of games demand a real battle before earning your affection. So, you know, perhaps the presentation is a little off. Uh, maybe some aspect of the controls rub you up the wrong way. Maybe it doesn't quite match up to its peers in areas where they really excel. Super Mario Odyssey, on the other hand, comfortably iterates upon every previous 3D Mario title. It borrows liberally from its own lineage whilst innovating constantly by by merging recognisable Mario gameplay with the best aspects of Nintendo's other first-party outings as well. And, And the quality is there from the title screen through to the end credits. Odyssey is just so friendly and inviting. And it's accessible, but it's still challenging. It's consistently rewarding. Like, even the Grinch would struggle not to warm to it. Mario Odyssey is is a game that is dense with reference and reverence as well. And playing through this, you know, popping it into the Switch, which was still quite a new console at the time, there was, you know, there's a bit of Warrior Land in how Odyssey uses the, the Cappy transformations, but it also felt like there was Warrior Wear in the rapid fire sort of volley of ideas that were presented, refined, and then just chucked out. 
there was a little bit of pool blocks. Like, does anyone remember that 3DS yeah, game? Yeah, great game. Because my, my own list certainly didn't remember it. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's there in the chunky aesthetic and environmental manipulation of some of the little, like, 2D subspace challenges. Mm. There's, there's Animal Crossing in the personality that's present in the denizens of each kingdom you visit. There's Mario Kart in how it uses time trials and the sort of racing lines to get between objectives. And of course, because of the time this launched, there was Breath of the Wild as well in its scale and its desire to just really reward every step of exploration. It's it's become a sort of hackneyed closer to reviews of Mario titles that, well, Mario is gaming, but Odyssey so seamlessly references and then subverts not only its own series, but also wider genre and medium tropes that it's a statement that I think is utterly deserved here. In the game, you are collecting moons, you know, the items that you earn liberally through platforming, orienteering, puzzle solving, just generally being inquisitive. There are 999, and I think I found issue with maybe three or four (laughs) for being slightly too oblique in their hints, and maybe one or two where the skill required to actually grab them felt so daunting that I had to split my efforts over multiple sessions to stay sane. (laughs) But, you know, putting that in perspective, though, that means that the times when my level of enjoyment wavered in the 60, 70 hours it took me to fully milk this game of everything was probably comparable to the time it's taken me to speak this sentence. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I couldn't and can't believe how much fun this game is. And as I've said again and again and again, when talking about current gen Nintendo exclusives especially, a huge reason why this game worked so well was that it was on the Switch. And it, it was a game that was so eager to please whether I had five minutes or five hours to play. And the instantaneous resume that I bring up at least once a week <laughs> meant that at the height of that kind of odyssey mania, I'd play for a couple hours before bed and pick up maybe 30 moons. I'd, I'd collect four or five more as I ate my breakfast. <laughs> I'd, I'd get one or two more on the train to work because I stopped driving for the time that I was playing Odyssey because I wanted more time. <laughs> um, it's, it's such a mammoth title that somehow demands only the smallest commitment to begin to enjoy. Like you can be any age, any skill level, and you are going to love this game. The sound design, the the musical selection and visual presentation, they're all impeccable. The musicians who play on this score, no doubt, probably were recurring players from the Mario Kart 8 soundtrack. Again, all putting in a superhuman shift (laughs) to imbue every single musical sting or stage theme with just such energy that's non-existent in more traditional like filmic game scores because it, it just it's for a different purpose like it's peppy it's bouncy it's it's meant to be orally engaging it's meant to give every place a, a sense of character and you know if you play this game on mute you are really doing yourself a big disservice yeah. because there there is so much to really just gleam from just being in the world completely and letting it really just consume your senses the seamless change from sort of big band to chip tune when you go into those 2d areas the the chilly or watery reverb that gets applied to songs in icy or or underwater biomes you know, that is a chef's kiss to the moon. <laughs> it's, it's it's lovely. It's so, so lovely. And the graphics as well are another example of Nintendo showcasing pure design over fidelity. And it gets boring to say, but even something as technically impressive as like Spider-Man on the PlayStation 5 looks now. In 2021, you're going, that's amazing. But you know, within a decade, it will start to crumble and fall to pieces. <laughs> Because if you've played any early realistic games like the first Uncharted or early Call of Duty titles, yeah. or if you go back and watch any early CG films like Madagascar or Shrek, or even if you go back and pick at really big budget films like, you know, phase one of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. they look like dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and whether people consciously realize it now in a decade, 
many of the films we all watched the gawp in cinemas when they were last open to the games we're playing right now at the bleeding edge of photorealism they're just going to look pretty so-so but odyssey it will get re-released and up-resed or whatever and look just as good as it did when it launched because as a case in point like the playful aesthetic of mario 64 may look a bit soft when when viewed through a modern lens but as that reverse engineered PC port showed, if you refilter and upscale, it's a game that holds up perfectly 25 years after its release. And, and I know that to whack Odyssey on a big screen in, say, you know, 2045, no one is going to bat an eyelid. They'll just shout excitedly, throw your hat on the frog and you become the frog. <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah. that's what they should be doing, because that's that's what makes the game fun. That's the main thing. But the presentation would mean nothing if the game didn't play insanely well. And it's the feel of the game which takes it above and beyond its competitors. I truly don't think anything on the market feels this good to play. And the only thing that's come close is probably Astrobot's Playroom on the PS5. Mm. And even that, you know, it took, what, four and a bit years after Odyssey <laughs> yeah. to make its mark? Uh, you know, the majority of Nintendo's competitors are so far behind in this area. It is, to make another filmic reference, like comparing Pixar's absolute dominance in visuals and storytelling around the era they put out up and wally and toy story 3 to any other studio at the time yeah like dreamworks or, or sony pictures their best of that era is what pixar would produce if they just farmed out all the jobs to the work <laughs> experience kids it's like it was just another level completely and and odyssey really does feel like that no, no matter how good a 3d platformer it is it's going to come second place to odyssey like the the controls are crisp they're, they're taut they're, they're totally intuitive and all while spread over just a few buttons and an analog stick. Like by the end of my 60 plus hours of play, I felt impossibly good at this game <laughs> because the jumps and the rolls and the cap throws and the dives, it's all just muscle memory at that point. And, and I loved as well that when this launched, it was days after Nintendo allowed gameplay recording on the Switch. Ah, and nice. I think that was a masterstroke because minutes into play, I found myself hammering that little chunky capture key, just desperate to immortalize some joyous run of, of rubbery movement and traversal <laughs> because it all just feels so good. And that even played into stuff like the post-launch DLC, the, the Luigi's Balloon World that came out because it was it's a very small thing, but it just made a throw, throwaway idea fun by virtue of just basing the content, not around new stages as much as I really would have loved that, but by player set movement challenges. So if someone just does their best acrobatics to hide a balloon and then you're given a limited time to work out what their sort of parkour line was to collect it. At the end of it, what do you get? Just some coins, just meaningless coins. Yeah, how many balloons did I chase? Probably a thousand. <laughs> like, I just wanted to be back in Odyssey and moving about. It just feels so good to play. At the end of the Switch's first year at market, Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey were both vying for the tops of, of Game of the Year lists. And different people would have argued one, one game over the other, like which was more deserving of that crown. But... I don't think any written or numerical accolade could ever really detail or truly represent the magic of either experience, to be honest. And and for me, Odyssey won out because it's just pure joy. It's just unfettered joy, absolute unrivaled joy. And to think about it, I, I feel like a warmth in my body <laughs> because I, I, I love this game with every molecule that, that makes me, I think. And it's, it's one of the greatest ever made, as I said. Like it, it reached that tier within a week of playing. And it's my fifth favourite game of all time. And yeah, R3 Cents approved. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. Yeah. No, I mean, I cannot obviously cannot argue with anything you've just said. It is an absolute 
masterpiece. You know, I, I've spoken before about how quickly I played through the game, that I 100%ed it in yeah. four days. I, I literally did nothing else but to play the game. It was mad. And I now I kind of regret it because I, I played it, I finished it, I traded it in. It had a huge impact on me because, I mean, like I said, in terms of days I've owned a game, there's no other game on my list that I only owned for four days. It's like, that's mental. <laughs> but yeah, I, and I would like to play it again. I really, really would like to play it again. And I should, because I, I didn't play any of the uh, Luigi stuff. So I never, never, I never experienced that. Like I said, it's it's very slight, but it does it adds as much replay as you want. Yeah. If if the thing you want is just to play Mario, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's the same as as like Mario Maker, that sort of idea that it's just generating new little challenges for you to play and do. Yeah. That you you know the basics. It's just applying them in slightly different ways. Marvelous. Well, there we go. That is another game that is our three cents approved and Chris's fifth favourite video game of all time and of course it was Super Mario Odyssey if you've enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do share the podcast on social media and you can reach out to us on our social media platforms as well you can find us on Facebook facebook.com slash r3cents Instagram at o3c podcast Twitch at o3c podcast go to YouTube search for r3cents subscribe to the channel watch the videos like the videos share the videos wrap them in a biscuit blanket and put them to bed (laughs) or you can chat to us individually you can take us to task on our opinions or you can just tell us what you're playing tell us what you're playing tell us what games you love tell us what your top 10 favourite video games of all time are we're going to feature them in in a bonus episode in the future uh, so please do that you can find me on twitter at jonathan dunn you can find me at Chaz underscore hodges clement underscore boo if you really enjoyed what we're doing here then please do check out our patreon page patreon.com slash our three cents and consider pledging a few pennies our way we would love that and appreciate that that would be great and please do join us next week when minity will be telling you what his fifth favorite video game of all time is Do you think you're ready? Yes. Because you're not. Oh. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. On the Super Nintendad's Entertainment Podcast, catch us grumbling about the news every Monday on the Morning Dadcast, chatting with industry professionals, and most importantly, teaching our kids just how incredible or horrible 80s and 90s video game and pop culture truly was. All right, what else you got? The Sega Slingshot. <laughs> Don't have a cow, man. <laughs> the blast processing was really fast. Why can Knuckles fly even? Tide Prondo. What does that even mean? Samurai Pizza Cats. Gabe, we almost named you Guido Anchovy. <laughs> Doing a Belvedere requires a set of low hangers. I'm gonna die! <laughs> right here on Greenlit. Hey Chris, what's the War Rocket Ajax podcast about? Well Matt, if we were smart, it'd be about murders. But it's actually about comics. War Rocket Ajax. It's not about murders. But it is weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network.